0: Good morning, everyone. Would you please stand? We're going to sing praises to God this morning. We're going to join our voices in adoration of our Creator and our King. Not sure what kind of week you had last week. I hope it was a good one, but in case it wasn't, maybe it was a reminder that there's really nothing in this world that, um, there's nothing in this world here for us. Amen. And, uh, God has us here for a reason. Yes. But this world doesn't have anything for us and our hope can only be found in Jesus and in his love. And this morning, I just, I want you to, to just be reminded of that and just bathe in it, I guess. Just let that that thought and that truth just flood over you, and just realize that God's love and Jesus Christ and the hope—that's that's the only hope that we have—and that's the only thing that will never fail us.
1: What? <laughs> One day, faith In you, as the heavens hold the skies, it's your hand that holds my life, and your love will lead me on when all else is gone. Jesus, all I have, Jesus, all I have is you,
2: you're the hope. Of
1: I might weep, but still my faith rests in you. As
0: the heaven told the skies,
1: as the heaven told the skies, it's your hand that holds my. Right.
0: He loves us.
1: He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. loves. Let's sing that again. Redemption by the grace in his eyes.
0: thank you for this day lord and we declare the love that you have for us we know lord that you made it very clear to us how much you loved us by giving your only son to die on the cross for us and we thank you so much for that lord and god we want to um, please you by accepting that love father and believing that truth of the incredible love that you have for us this morning as we um We wait, Lord, to to hear from you and to listen to what you have to say to us, Lord. Soften our hearts, Lord, so that we can receive um, the truth that you have for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
2: My house growing up was uh, an old house. Uh, At this point, it's well over 100 years old. And it had a pantry. And on the inside of the pantry, my mom had, you know, that's where our pots and pans were and everything else. And, and on the inside of the door, that's where she had all the spices. So there was a rack on the inside. You open up and there are all the spices. And I remember when I was littler going in there once and seeing this orange package and it had the word chocolate on it. And I thought, mm, chocolate. And, and my mom would always say, yeah, that's chocolate, but you don't want to eat it. It doesn't taste good. And I'm just kind of going, yeah, right. That's your chocolate. You don't want me to eat it. You're giving some, you know, some excuse as to why I wouldn't want to eat this chocolate. I mean, you know where this is going. So I go ahead one day and say, it's chocolate. It's got to be good. And I opened it up, and it was in nice big chunks. And I took a nice big chunk, and I put it in my mouth, and I started to chew. And I realized my mother does not lie. <laughs> <clears throat> It was, of course, bittersweet chocolate, and I don't know about you, but when it comes to bitter sweet chocolate, I taste lots of bitter, I just don't find the sweet at all. The sweet's not there, it's just, it's ick. And uh, you know what, for a lot of our family, it was more bitter this week than sweet. It was a hard week. We had friends here who uh, lost, a, a family who lost a little girl, seven-year-old girl to cancer. And they're, they're now friends with those people and, and dealing with that loss And helping them through just a, an incredible tragedy if you, if you have children And even if you don't, you don't You can't even let your mind go there very long Been weepy all week long Just thinking of you know, Yuck Mike Brown had a, a cousin's daughter 20-year-old Killed this week in a motorcycle accident Rich Kuchar lost his 90-year-old grandfather doesn't matter what the age is there are holes in people's lives today and and hurts in people's lives today and when we come together the, when i talk about bittersweet the problem is that some of us had a great week there was great stuff that went on and, and you find yourself going wow i feel bad for you but it was a it was a great week and so balancing that when we come into a day like today you see when we come here we look for a lot of things and and one of the things we look for is uh what we sang this morning, Dana singing these words, even as she knows she's comforting a friend who lost a seven-year-old child. Jesus, all I have is you. You're the hope I'm holding to. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And you think about this seven-year-old dying. And for some people, they don't want to think about that very hard because it starts to cause them to question whether or not that God is really loving. And they they don't want to scratch that too deeply because what will happen? And so we come into a day like today and we look for a couple things. One, we look for comfort and to be comforted. We look to comfort our friends. But we also look for the opportunity to to sing songs like this and, and to listen to truth like this that tells us that the broken world we're in is not the way God wanted it. God had so much better for us. He, has, he had a wonderful plan for this world. And it didn't involve death. And it didn't involve sin. And it didn't involve heartbreak. And so when we come today, it's not our place to, to question the goodness of God. It's our place to say, man, I wish it didn't have to be this way. So what I want to do this morning is, as we get started is just spend some time praying. Praying for the brokenhearted. And I know that you join me today. Uh, in praying for them as well, let's let's pray together. Lord God, uh, you're a father. You're a father to all of us, and and specifically your firstborn son Jesus, you your your the only begotten Son of God. You know what it feels like to be a father. You know what it feels like to watch your child die. And uh, today we we. Plead for you on behalf of, of the Locke family. Uh, the, the, the pain and the loss is overwhelming. And the truth of your love sometimes is hard to see when we are in the most bitter moments of our lives. I pray for the Barrowmans and the Aubreys as they have the opportunity to uh, just be with this family. Not even express great wise words, but just be there. That their presence and your spirit's presence through them would be a comfort and a help in a time of great loss. I pray for for Mike as he spends time with his cousin, who not only lost her husband a few years ago, but has now lost her daughter too. And as she deals with those losses, I pray that you will help him and help Ann to come alongside her and to be a comfort and a support to her in a time that is uh, likely one of the darkest times she will experience in this lifetime. And for Rich and for his family, I pray that as they get the chance to to celebrate the life of a grandfather, they will also feel your comfort, your support, your encouraging arms wrapping around them. God, we know, we know the truth of your word. We know what you intended for your kids. And we know that, that there's an enemy of our souls that is doing everything I can to mess up your world and to mess us up and to get us to doubt you. And I pray like Job that we'd be able to ultimately say, even if he killed me, I'd trust him. Always help us to come back and find our our sure and complete trust in you. All we have is you, Jesus. You're the hope we're holding to this morning. And we're holding on tightly and don't plan to let go. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So bitter. And then there's sweet. And then there's the side that, you know, some people have had a fun week, a good week, a week reason to celebrate. I mean, i got to tell you, this past week, as much as there's been the heaviness of helping people and being with people through their pain, there's also been this side that I've been really excited. You know, we talked last week about, about the future for our church and about the possibility of, of a building. And there was, there was one night early on, I can't remember if it was Sunday night or Monday night, but I just didn't sleep. I'm laying in my bed and I'm wide awake and I'm like, woo! Let's go do something. Well, you know, it was like I drank ten gallons of coffee. I'm like, what's going on? What is this? And then I'm suddenly I realized, oh, that's what excitement feels like. I forgot. That's what it feels like to be like, hey, you know, this is cool. I haven't felt that way about this particular thing in a while. So last week we we talked about the potential for our building. We we presented the what the facility plans would look like. We talked about financing and all that sort of thing. And you know, like I said, the bottom line, is it's been a while since I've allowed myself to just go and dream there, to just think about what could actually happen with something like that. In reality, uh, it just seemed like so many obstacles stood in the way. And, and the truth is, we're still not done. You know, we, we're still doing the building gatherings. If you haven't gone to one of those, on, you can go Tuesday or Thursday night of this coming week to, again, see the, fir- the plans in further detail, hear what's going on, and ask questions. And the questions that have been asked and the comments that have come back, the feedback has been helpful, positive, encouraging. Uh, we've really appreciated all of it. So as we uh, head into next weekend, we'll be spending some time Sunday night actually voting on whether or not we're going to go ahead with this. And, and as we do that, I thought it would be really good to go ahead and resume a part of our study in 1 Corinthians. I don't know what that is, but don't worry. And, and, and what we're going to do is actually not go where we were going to be. We're going to skip ahead just a bit because it fits so well. It fits so well for this season that we're in. So today, what we're going to do is look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to jump over to chapter 12. And, and this chapter fills in a blank on, on a really simple statement. The, stim, the simple statement is a, is a church is. A church is. A church is what? What is a church? You see, too many people reduce the word church to a place, to a building, to a facility. We know better than that. What is a church really? A church is a spirit-empowered people called to be the visible expression of Christ in the world. I got news for you today. For those comforting the brokenhearted, comfort does not come through the fact that there's a building sitting on a street called a church. Comfort comes through Christ followers who extend love and support and concern for another human being. It is a spirit-empowered people called to be the visible expression of Christ in the world. That's what chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians says. Now, when you look at the chapter, you find that it's, it's divided into two sections. Verses 1 to 11 <clears throat> talk about uh, special abilities from the spirit that are commonly known as spiritual gifts. We'll spend some time there today. And then the second half of the chapter unfolds an analogy. I've got to know. I'll be back. It's nothing. Which is even scarier. Okay. <clears throat> Talking about spirits and now there's stuff going on in the back. Yay! Okay. Okay. Anyway, um, church, God, Jesus. Um, Second half of the chapter unfolds this analogy, and the analogy is of a human body, and how the human body is like the spiritual body of the church. So if the church is a spirit-empowered people, called to be the visible expression of Christ in the world, the first question we must answer is, Jason fixed it. He can fix anything. Oh, okay, great. Nice. The first question is, what does that empowerment look like? What does this spirit empowerment look like? If we're supposed to be a spirit-empowered people, what does that look like? And what I'd like to do is just read that first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're going to read it together. It starts by saying, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about special abilities the spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Verse 4 says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us going to verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To to another, the same Spirit gives the message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the, the, the ability power to perform miracles, and another the ability to to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit, an evil spirit, a false spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Now for me, the way I'm wired, I like to think in outlines and I like to think in logical progressions. And in light of that, I love these first 11 verses. I mean, they they preach themselves. They just go through point by point and Paul unfolds what a spiritual gift is, what it's all about. It's been a while since we've looked at this letter, so I want to remind you of of a dynamic that's taking place at this point in the book. Paul is uh, he's answering questions, answering questions that have been asked by the Corinthians. They were asked in a letter. We don't have a copy of that letter, but we do have Paul's reference to it. In 1 Corinthians 7, he starts by saying, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. They, they wrote about many topics to Paul, things they wanted answers. Questions about marriage and human sexuality, pagan practices and whether or not they should eat meat offered to idols. Questions about practices of the church community, like communion, as well as theological questions. This one falls into that area of a theological question. And it's expressed, in a a sense, in in the life of the community, the way the community works. If you've been following this study, you know that the church of Corinth is marked by one thing. They're marked by division. They divide over just about everything. They are always taking sides. And they've even taken sides in the issue of spiritual gifts. They have differing opinions as to what spiritual gifts are. They had a few misconceptions about gifts. They thought that some gifts were more important than others. And by extension, some people were more important than others. They thought some people had more value. They thought that some gifts were more desirable than others. That you should go after some and leave others alone. And they thought they could choose or they could select their own giftedness. They could decide what they were going to do in and for the body of Christ. So Paul invests 11 verses here. Plus some time and a couple other chapters to unfold this topic. Now before we get too far... Um, you may be wondering what this whole idea of a spiritual gift even is. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it, or it's fairly new. You know, you're thinking, is that something I buy at a Christian bookstore or a religious website? I mean, what a spiritual gift, what's that all about? Paul actually employs a few Greek words in these 11 verses. Not just one, but a few Greek words that are translated the same way in our English Bibles. Every time in our English, English Bible, we see the word spiritual gifts. But he actually uses a few different words to express it. So in verse 1, he uses the word pneumatikon. Pneumatikon is not literally translated spiritual gifts, but spiritual things, or the things of the Spirit. So while our Bible says spiritual gifts, right there, it's really saying spiritual things. Having said that, in the context of this part of the chapter, the spiritual things he's talking about are the gifts of the Spirit. So he's relaying that to us. Uh, We see the term used again in verse 4 in our our English Bibles. That time he uses the word charismaton. Now you you hear a word in there, right? Charisma, charismatic. You hear that word buried in there. He he uses some other parallel words in this paragraph too. For example, he says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them. Different kinds of service but the same Lord, different accomplishments, but the same God. All of those words, service, accomplishments, they're used as parallels to give us an idea of what a spiritual gift is and how they work. In verse 7, your English Bible again says spiritual gifts. But Paul uses even a, a different word here. And the best word that could be used there is the word manifestation. He says these are manifestations of the Spirit. So while our English Bibles only use one term repeatedly, Paul actually uses several words to convey the concept. And what it does is helps us to build an understanding, a theology of spiritual gifts. Now, rather than just giving kind of a a simple sentence definition of a spiritual gift, which would be easy, what I'm going to do instead is use some of these terms in order to just unpack what exactly is a spiritual gift. So if you're going to... you have to start. If you're going to talk about a spiritual gift, you have to talk about the first word. You have to talk about spiritual. You have to talk about spirit. You have to talk about the spirit if you're going to understand this word at all. Spiritual gifts start with the Holy Spirit. They always do. In what ways? Well, most fundamentally, we see the spirit is the source of the gifts. They all come from him. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 4. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about the special abilities the Spirit gives us. They're given by the Spirit. He's the source. Verse 4 says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. They they come from the Spirit. The terms we use, this term we use, spiritual gifts, I think actually kind of veils a fundamental truth. They are not just spiritual gifts, like spiritual gifts versus natural gifts, but they are the Spirit's gifts. They're the gifts of the Spirit. They're the gifts that come from the Spirit. They belong to Him. He's the source of them. He's the one that bestows them. He's the one that empowers them. I'm I'm getting ahead a little bit. Hold on. The the Spirit is the source. Because the, the gifts belong to the Spirit, He doesn't just own them. You know, they're not just in his collection. He doesn't just own them. He decides how they will be distributed. This, again, was something they misunderstood. They thought that they could decide the gift that they wanted. Look at verse 11. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. It couldn't be clearer. He alone decides which gift each person should have. We don't get to sit down and look at the list of gifts in the Bible and say, I want to be a leader, or I want to be a teacher, or I want to be this, or I want to be that. The Spirit determines it. He's the source, and He is also the one that makes these decisions. There could be, no I think, no more important principle about spiritual gifts that we need to understand than the one that is found in verse 11. They belong to the Spirit, and they are His to distributor, he's the distributor of the gifts, and he's also the determiner of the gifts. He's the one that determines who will get what gifts and which gifts will be employed in a particular local church. The Corinthians uh, they were manipulating gifts. They were using the gifts instead of receiving them and using them the way they were intended. They thought that some gifts were better than others, that some gifts were more desirable than others, and that they could pick and choose which ones they wanted to have. But they missed the point of the word spirit. The spirit is the source, and the spirit is the sovereign over the gifts. He decides what will be given. The spirit is also the one who empowers the gifts. It's not like we... Find out what our spiritual gift is, and then we got to practice a lot. Practice makes perfect. We just try and try and try. Eventually, we have a, a well-honed spiritual gift. That's not the idea. The Spirit is the empowerer. Verses 7 to 11, over and over again, say the Spirit gives the ability. The Spirit gives the power. He's the one empowering us to do His work. He is the source of the gifts. He's the sovereign over the gifts, and He's the one that empowers or energizes the gift. So if you're going to understand the word spiritual gifts, you got to understand it's all about the spirit. The spirit is the one who controls spiritual gifts. Now the second word we want to look at is charismaton. The the root of this word is the word charis. Some of our girls' names come from that. Kara, Corinne. You hear that word charis buried in there. It's a word for grace. And what do we understand about grace? It's not just a prayer before a meal. Grace. Grace is free. It's a gift. It is not earned or deserved. A a charisma is a special favor. It's, It's freely given to us. You see, a spiritual gift is just an expression of God's grace. That's another way to say it. God is showing his grace to you by giving you a gift. Gifts are not earned they're not deserved. You don't try really hard and God says, you worked really hard. Now I'm going to give you this gift. That's a, it's his grace bestowed upon us. Now the text is clear on this. Every believer has been bestowed a spiritual gift. There is not a giftless believer in this room. Every person has at least a gift. We see that in verse 7. A spiritual given is, gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. It's not limited to some people or other people. Anyone who's a believer has been given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. It's not to, not to some of us. It's to each of us, to every one of us. We've all received a spiritual gift. So we've all received this grace, this honored favor given to us. That, that's beyond our salvation. There's actually a gift given to us that he intends for us to use in his body. Uh, It's not just an expression of your natural talents or your personality. It's a unique empowerment by the Spirit. If I could give you a picture from the New Testament, this will hopefully help you to understand better how spiritual gifts work. You go back to Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the day the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And what do we read? One day, on the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a, a sound from heaven. Oh, we've been hearing that sound all morning. You got like a sound from—I didn't say sound from behind the curtain. A sound from heaven, like the roaring of mighty of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was. Filled with the Spirit, and you can't miss that part. Again, spiritual gifts—it's about the Spirit. It's the Spirit working in, in us. They were filled with the Spirit, and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Not because they practiced, not because they took Rosetta Stone. The Holy Spirit gave them the ability, and they started to speak. The Bible says they were filled with God's Spirit. Again, not just talking about the manifestation, the speaking, but they were filled with God's Spirit and began doing what they did not have the ability to do just moments before. Just moments before they couldn't speak this way and now they could. Very different. They began speaking in other languages. And don't miss this. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. It's not something they decided. The Spirit did it. Keep reading Acts 2. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. It says, they were completely amazed. How can this be? And then it goes through the list of all these people, where they all came from. People that were converts to Judaism, as well as people who were Jewish. They're hearing these things. and, And verse 12 tells us that some of the people stood there, and they were amazed and perplexed. And then there was another group that says, ah, they're just drunk. They, they were explaining it away. So some were amazed. Other, thing, other people just thought it was, it was a natural, natural phenomenon. Now, there are two things to notice in this passage. First of all, these are actual languages. They started speaking actual languages that they had not studied before. And, and what you miss some in, in the nuance of the, of, the, of the Greek is that it says they spoke in their native languages. So let's say this were today. And somebody from Jerusalem, a Jew from Jerusalem, Peter starts speaking. And he starts speaking English. But he's speaking to a guy from Alabama. So he doesn't just start speaking English. He starts speaking English with an Alabama drawl. He doesn't speak British English. He speaks Alabama English. And he can hear it exactly the way it would sound as if he had not only studied the language, but had actually grown up in that language. This was a gift straight from the Spirit. A gift with a purpose. And the purpose, it got their attention. And that's the purpose of a gift. It gets people's attention and it draws people's attention to God. That's what it's supposed to do. Not draw their attention to the person who's speaking the language, but it drew their attention to God. Everybody noticed. Now, some of them noticed and said, this is amazing. And some of them noticed and said, those guys are drunk. And you know what? When God shows up, those are the two general reactions people have. Some people say this is amazing, and some people say this is a gimmick. There's a trick going on here, and they don't believe. But that gift gave people the opportunity to make a choice about what they thought about God. Is this something truly amazing, or is this just something natural? A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Um, So... A spiritual gift is an expression of God's grace to me, but it doesn't end there. It's not a spiritual gift given to me so that my life can be better, so that I can enjoy something. That's what the Corinthians were trying to do with the gift. A spiritual gift is given to me so that we can help each other. There's a purpose behind it. So that God's grace flowing toward me can flow through me to someone else. Now I'm able to be an extender of, of God's grace. A spiritual gift is God's grace flowing through me to extend God's grace to someone else. It, it's really important to understand this verse because it exposes the Corinthian thinking. First, they didn't see spiritual gifts strictly as God's grace extended to them. They, they just they thought, this is, this is for me and for no one else. I, I get to choose what I want to do. And they were turning their gifts into a matter of personal choice or selection, believing that that gift was given so that they could reap the reward of it. But that's not grace. that's, That's just greedily choosing whatever you want. But beyond that, they thought of the gift as given to them for themselves and not to be extended to anyone else, not seeing how that gift was to be used beyond themselves. They didn't see themselves as conduits of God's grace, People given a gift, a grace, so they could help each other. They saw these gifts, these graces, as existing for self-service. I chose this gift for me. And that's not what spiritual gifts are about. You see it plainly there in verse 7. So they were pursuing... Some of the more ecstatic gifts, gifts like tongues and whatever, because they thought that would be for their personal benefit rather than embracing gifts in a way that it exhibited god 's grace to others and not just to themselves. It brings us to the third word that Paul uses and that 's the word manifestation. We see this verse this word in verse seven uh, i want to I want you to see it not only here but but in another uh, translation that's more literal than the one in the New Living. It says, "Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good." Uh, the, the The word the New Living translation uses, "spiritual gifts," is really the word "manifestation." What is a manifestation? I mean, it's not an everyday, common use American word. We kind of know what it means, but but it, I can't think of the last time I used it in a sentence. We might have heard of a ship's manifest in a movie. You know, it's the list of all the cargo, crew, passengers, everything that's part of that appears on this list so that we know what's in there. Manifestation is sometimes used in like these these ghost hunter TV shows where they'll say, Oh, the spirit has manifest himself, the ghost manifests himself, we see it, which is basically a way of saying we know the ghost is present. A manifestation is to make one's presence known. What is this saying? The Spirit makes His presence known through the gifts He gives to us. Because we have those gifts, we know the Spirit is there and He manifests Himself. He makes Himself known. When a gift is public, the Spirit is public. When a gift is on display, the Spirit is on display. A gift in full use is a demonstration of God's presence. The Spirit present in us and the Spirit present in the world. Now, I said chapter 12 was divided into two parts. The first part, talking about spiritual gifts, and the second part, this, this body analogy. Uh, the, Paul does this to dispel, again, some of the misconceptions that the Corinthians had about gifts. And so he tries to use the analogy of the body to say, do you see how warped your thinking is on this? For example, in verse 12, he says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. I mean, none of us woke up this morning and, you know, pull the parts of us out of a drawer and pull them together. They're, they're all there. They're all one body, even though we know we have different parts, different pieces to us along the way. Verse 14 says the body has many different parts, not just one part. And I love this because then he gets into this whole thing of, and he's, you know, Paul, Paul at his humorous moment, he's like, what if, what if the whole body were a foot? I mean, can you imagine somebody walking in today and just a big foot plopping into the room or, you know, what if the whole body were a hand? I mean, wouldn't it be unusual to just see, instead of seeing bodies walking into the room, see body parts coming into the room. He says the body is one body and there are all kinds of different parts in that same body. We have many parts and we have different parts. And then he says this in verse 18, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each of each part just where he wants it. He decides where the hand goes on the body. He decides where the foot goes on the body. He decides it's best to put the lung inside of the chest cavity instead of on top of the head. He's the one that places all the pieces where he believes the pieces should go. All the parts are who God wants them to be and are where God wants them to be. And again, all of this was to dispel the misguided beliefs of the Corinthians. They did not choose their gifts. The Spirit chose their gifts. They did not decide the prominence of those gifts. The Spirit decides those things. The Spirit is the one that controls the gifts. Some gifts were not better than others, nor were some, other, some people better than others. All were necessary. He even talks about some parts are very private, other parts are very public, but you need them all. You need all the parts of the body. He ends by saying, it is not just that you are like a body church. He's saying you are a body. You are the body of Christ. Verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So I'll go back to our definition of the church. The church is a spirit-empowered people called to be the visible expression of Christ in the world. We're given these these graces These gifts of the Spirit. And each believer has at least one. And they're to be used to benefit others, not just ourselves. When the church is functioning in this manner, when when the Spirit is flowing through people and the gifts are being used, Christ is seen by others and the Spirit is manifest to the world. He is visible to the world. Toward the end of the chapter, he gives a, a partial list of some of the gifts. I mean, you can go through the New Testament and find a number of gifts of the Spirit. He talks about the gifts of apostle, prophet, teacher, doing miracles, healing, helping others, leadership, unknown languages. It's a partial list, just a partial list. Some of the ways in which the Spirit manifests Himself. I I thought it was fun this past week, even as we've been in our, our building gatherings, to watch the way the Spirit manifests Himself through the gifts that each person brings to the table. Someone will have a gift of leadership. Another person will have a gift of organization or administration. We've seen discernment on display. We've seen encouragement on display. And it's been even fun to see the gift of faith show up. Those people that, you know, it doesn't matter how big something is, they say, God can do it. And they can see it in a way that other people go, oh, there are a million obstacles. I don't know how this will be done. Even in this, we've seen the gifts of God, spirit, action. So the question, I said this is about this season. How does this apply to us today? What can we take away from this chapter? How does this apply to our church? Well, first, let's make it obvious. Every person is needed. Every person is needed. And every gift is needed you know, I don't think Southfield has a problem with minimizing other people's gifts. I don't know people that walk around saying, my gift is better than yours or, or I'm better than you. I mean, one thing I love about our, spirit, our, our church is there's, there's a genuine spirit of humility. I love that about you. If anything, our issue is just the opposite. We said it before, we suffer from a little bit of piglet syndrome. You remember piglet from Winnie the Pooh? Oh, he's one of my, fan, my favorites. I love this guy. Piglet thought of himself as a small animal of little account or worth. What do we do? We don't necessarily look at somebody else and say, my gift is better than yours. We look at somebody else and say, I wish I had a gift. I, I wish I had something. I mean, look at Dana up there. She's so talented. I just, I wish, I wish I had something, just any, anything to give to God. There's no gift too small. Public or private isn't the issue at all. Every person is needed. Every gift is given by the Spirit. And every part of the body is in the place that God wants it to be. So for us to minimize our gifts is almost as bad as us being proud about our gifts. No matter what it is, we need to say, this is the gift God has given me. And I want to put it to its full use in the body of Christ. So that the body of Christ can benefit and the world can benefit. Whatever gift God has given you is the one you have and your gift is valuable and you are valuable. You are needed. You're absolutely needed in the body of Christ. What's the second application? These gifts are given to be used and they're to be used to help each other. God gave us a gift, not so that we could just admire it or say, wow, isn't it really cool that I'm gifted in this way? But the verse was very clear. They're given for us to be able to help other people. You know, a lot of people get hung up about wondering what their gift is. How do I know what my, you're talking about gifts. How do I know what my gift is? And there are churches, and we've done it in the past, that offer these multi-question tests to help a person discover their gifts. Here's what I'm convinced of after many years of this. You're not going to discover your gift through a test. You're going to discover it through testing it out. You're going to discover it just by trying, by trying and seeing where you're effective and what works. And interestingly, what I've found, when a person is genuinely gifted, they're operating in this area of giftedness, and you talk to them about it, and they, and they look at it kind of like, I don't even know what I do. You know, I, just, I just do it. I don't know. It comes so naturally. Why? It's not really natural. It's supernatural. It's the Spirit empowering them to do the thing that they're doing. The fact is that the gifts are the Spirit's gifts. So rather than attempting to discover the gift, I would encourage you to discover the Spirit. I'd encourage you to spend more time worrying about being connected to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and listening to the Spirit. The Bible says specifically two things about the Spirit. Don't grieve Him and don't quench Him. What does grieve mean? When you live in constant sin, the Spirit says, we're, not, we're just not working together for a while. And so we're, lo- we're trying to live in such a way that our lives are we're for- asking for forgiveness and keeping that sin cleaned up. Quenching, on the other hand, is when the Spirit prompts us to do something, we say, "Nah, not me. And the Spirit says, well, you know, when you're ready to be used, we'll talk. So the real issue is not so much discovering what my giftedness is as making sure that I'm really connected to the Spirit. The final application speaks to the issue of a building. The church is a spirit-empowered people called to be the visible expression of Christ in the world. It would be easy for us at this point to think that when we finally have a building built, we'll finally be on the map. People will finally notice. They'll finally see Southfield. They'll finally see us. A building is not a manifestation of the spirit. A building is a building, and just that. It's bricks, wires, and walls. Our visibility has very little to do with our location or our lack of a building. A building is not a manifestation of the Spirit. We're a manifestation of the Spirit. So as we're using our gifts, people get to see the Spirit of God. They don't see God when they see a building. They see God through who we are and through what we're doing. You know, i got sad news for you. I've known churches that have beautiful buildings that have a horrible reputation. And I've known churches that have no building that have a beautiful reputation. Why? Because they're living out their giftedness. They're doing what God called them to do. So this isn't one of these days of, you know, someday when we grow up, we might possibly. That's not it. That's not it at all. God's saying today today you can use every ounce of the giftedness He has given you, the Spirit has given you, in order to manifest the power of God and the presence of God in this community and around the world. So let's not look at that structure as someday things are going to be great. Things need to be great now. And whether we have a building ever the Spirit allows that giftedness, that grace to be poured on us so that it can pour through to others. The church is a, a Spirit-empowered people called to be a visible expression of Christ in the world. Let's live up to our calling. That's what this chapter is saying. Live up to your calling. Use your gift to the glory of God. Don't worry about all the, the structures and organizations and ever, all that stuff. Use your giftedness in order to let other people know who God is. And you know what? A lot of times that doesn't come in profound ways of you filling soldier field and you know preaching to millions and all this stuff. Sometimes it is simple as you have a friend in life and their life is falling apart and you in that moment are there and you know God and you can be God's presence for them in that moment. That's what this looks like. That's what it really looks like to be a church. It's not always about the big stuff. It's about in those moments of crisis, in those moments of need, in those moments of pain, showing up so that God has the opportunity to show up in that person's life. Let's talk to him right now. Father, I thank you for 1 Corinthians 12. There's a lot there. And I pray that we would embrace the idea that every person here is gifted God, help us to stop looking down on ourselves, thinking of ourselves as not as good as someone else, but instead to embrace the giftedness you have given us and to be willing to just do whatever we can with that giftedness to manifest the presence of the Spirit in our lives to allow your grace to flow through us to someone else. Help us to live by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our servers are going to come now and you're going to receive communion. There's bread and cup together. Just go ahead and take it and and partake of communion. You can spend some time meditating, thinking about what we've talked about. But what I'd like to do during this time as well is, is read the part of the chapter that I didn't read. So if you want to tune in and hear some of the phrases, feel free. If you want to tune out, that's fine too. Just go ahead and use this time in order to connect with God. The Bible says the human body has many parts but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body, by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, does that make it any less part of the body? And if an ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would it smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. Let's dwell on that for a minute. Our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts. But only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as, as less honorable and those we clothed with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while, while the most honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care is given to the parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members and that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. Just dwell on that for a minute. If one part suffers all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. God, as we take this moment to eat a piece of bread and drink some juice, we realize that we are celebrating something your son put in place on the night he was betrayed. And what we're celebrating is a broken body. A body broken for us that we're supposed to remember all the time. Because in remembering it, we remember Christ. We remember that we are part of the body of Christ. And so today we celebrate what Jesus did for us. You can drink the juice now if you haven't already. Thank you. Thanks so much. Our servers are going to come now and receive the offering. And as they do, i just remind you a couple of things that are going on. As you look at the uh, folder you received this morning, one schedule that is important for you to keep in mind is the warehouse summer schedule. As they start taking their trips, whether it's Omega or, or the junior hires going off to uh, Expeditions Unlimited, there are nights that the group doesn't meet because the group isn't here. So it's possible that your child isn't going away to camp, but the group won't be meeting. So make sure you go ahead and... Take that calendar, get it on your calendar so you know whether or not your, your student is supposed to be at warehouse or not, or off to camp or wherever they're supposed to be. The other schedule you see there is that the reality of teardown and setup is, is coming upon us. You hear the hoofbeats; It's coming very soon. One of the things we would love to do this coming year is to get more people who would basically say, I'll do setup for a month. Or I'll do setup up for a couple of months. Just going ahead and, and taking some time in order to be involved in that process. And we'll talk more about that next week. But it gives you a, a, a schedule, basically, of what's going to be happening over the next couple of weeks. For example, today, we need to tear down the preschool rooms and grade school rooms. They're going to be doing cleaning in there. But we don't have to take that equipment away from here. So if you can stick around afterward for a bit and help with the tear down of the preschool and grade school rooms and move that equipment into this room. That would be greatly appreciated. And then finally, of course, uh, throughout the week, you get the chance to continue to learn more about the building project. Table in the back on the, on the outside there has two sign-up sheets for you to be able to come to one of the two uh, building gatherings we're offering on Tuesday or Thursday. Time to get informed and ask questions. And then come next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we'll gather for a special business meeting where we will talk through and, and vote on whether or not we're moving ahead. So... Make sure you're aware of those things. If you need to know more and aren't able to make it to one of those meetings, contact us. We'd be glad to talk you through any of those parts. Why don't you go ahead and stand? And we're going to sing our way out of here.
1: Now
0: week this week and we'll see you back next Sunday.